my parents were missionaries, so I grew up in Africa, and we had heard about these things called microwaves. They sounded so wonderful, you know, being able to not pull out a pot and not fill it with water to get a cup of tea or anything. And so finally a container came, and in that container was a microwave for our family. And we were super excited. Most of you, well, many of you here, don't remember those first microwaves. They were a serious piece of equipment. They were very large. It was kind of like a two-man lift thing. <laughs> and after they actually came into production, that's when people started inventing microwave carts and things because they took all our counter space up. We had nowhere to cook. And... But this huge thing came, and so we had heard about all the different rules and things with microwaves, um, but we didn't want to mess it up. There was no, you know, you're in the middle of Africa, there is no repair man in the country. So we wanted to do it right, didn't want to mess this thing up. So what did we do? We pulled out the manual, and we read the manual, read all the rules, what you can do with this thing, what you cannot do this thing, what you should not do with this thing. You know, every time someone does one of those things you should not do, it gets added to the list. <laughs> we have some really interesting... We, we got a, a piece of furniture the other day for downstairs. It's one of those electric fireplaces at our home. And I was reading all those things, and it's like... Don't put this above a body of water or something like that. I thought, I really wish I knew who did what that caused that to be there. I can't even imagine what what they thought of. But anyway, so, you know, it never, ever occurred to us as we were reading that manual and it said, you know, don't use metal in this thing. And it, you know, it said use glass dishes or microwave-safe dishes. It never once occurred to us in looking at that manual as we read through it. It never, ever came to us to say, who do they think that they are? I paid good money for this microwave. It is mine. And if I want to cook with it, with metal in it, then I will. <laughs> that never entered our minds, you know. We were functioning under the assumption that whoever invented this thing really thought that it was a good idea, <laughs> and they wanted to tell us how we could get the longest life out of it, the best functioning use out of it, and so we listened to everything it said, and we did everything it said. You know, I've had a few experiments in it. Some have gone well and some have not gone well. <laughs> but nothing that was, you know, you know, terrible. But when we look at God's Word, in this Word there are a lot of commandments. There are a lot of things that are defined as sin. What, what is sin? It's something you, you shouldn't do it, right? <laughs> it's kind of like putting metal in the microwave. God made you and I. He made all all of uh, humanity. And because he made us, he knows how you work. (laughs) And he knows what's best for you. And he knows what is going to make your life on this planet um, a good one. And he also knows what you can do that will make your life on this planet (laughs) an existence. And so in his word, he has he's shown us what makes it work and what things will derail it. Uh, he knows. And yet, sometimes we do the ridiculous thing of saying, it's my life. 
Don't you tell me how to live my life. I'm going to live my life the way I want to. If I want to live it this way, I'll live it this way. If I want to do this, I'll do this. Well, believe me, God has your best interest at heart. (laughs) He is not trying to deprive you of fun. He is not trying to set you up for a miserable life. I mean, there are all sorts of people. We get these crazy ideas. There's all sorts of things growing up. I thought, ooh, I better be good so God doesn't ask me to do this. <laughs> if I'm really good, surely he would never do that to me because it would be so horrible. And one of those things I thought was coming to Pueblo, Colorado. <laughs> when my husband said one day, he said, have you ever heard of Pueblo? We were in Africa working as missionaries. And I said, yes, and I don't want to go there. My only experience with Pueblo had been we, our car broke down, and I spent the whole day in the summer in a loafing jug with apparently a, a day that was too hot for a swamp cooler to cool effectively. And that was my impression of Pueblo, and I didn't want to come here. Well, you know, I love this city. God did not set up a horrible life for me. He had, he knew me. He knew my giftings. He knew my likings and everything. And he knew that I was going to love this place. And that's why he brought me here. (laughs) And my husband and our family, you know. So God wants what's best for you. He wants you to live a life that is fulfilling. And so in this word, we have these, you know, two sets of things, things that are commandments, things that are going to make your life work better (laughs) if you do them. We have these things that are defined as sins. You know, slowly science has caught up (laughs) uh, and they're figuring out, oh, you know, the things that God said is sin. They're actually pretty bad for you. <laughs> you know, I was I was reading a while back. There was a time in, I don't know when, I'm not very good at history, but when they had a huge outbreak of the Black Plague and millions and millions of people were dying from this, um, one group of people did not seem as affected as the others. It was a Jewish community. And, of course, they thought the natural thing. <laughs> they're the ones causing all of this. <laughs> they're, trying to, they're trying to spread disease and all the rest of us and kill all of us out. Well, with, when they looked a little deeper, they actually found out that the laws of hygiene that God had set out, that they were following, were allowing them to live a healthier life. It was keeping them. I mean, the Jews, we're supposed to wash all the time. (laughs) Lots of washing rituals. My mother is a washing fanatic. They've been missionaries for years. There's diseases everywhere. And my boys, they're a little like, Mom, Grandma wants me to wash against it. Just go wash. (laughs) A little washing never hurt anybody. (laughs) You know, but it actually turned out to be something that was very valuable and had kept them healthy. And I'm sure there was a lot of little boys in there who had said, why do I have to be washing over that? So washing after that and washing before this. Well, God wanted them to live a long and healthy life. So um, when we look at our Ten Commandments that, you know, apparently people don't like to look at anymore, but we're going to look at them today. If you look at these, we start out with, there will be no other gods before me. You know, when I was growing up in church, I just thought that God had some sort of, I would never say this because that would not be right, but it seemed like he had some sort of ego issues because he's always saying, I want you to praise me, I want you to magnify me, and and it it just was like, 
kind of stuck on himself, you know. <laughs> but he's God, and if he tells us to do this, we better do it. Well, you know, if you think about that very first commandment, here we are, creatures created by God. We're on this planet. He made the planet. He made the people on the planet. He knows how the people on the planet are going to be happy, how things are going to work well. If we get disconnected from our Creator, what are our chances of living a happy, fulfilling life on this earth? They're very poor. Disconnected from the wisdom of God, the Word of God, the fellowship of the body of Christ, disconnected from all of that, our chances of living a fulfilling life are, are slim. <laughs> and so, when we look at that commandment, really, whose interest does God have at heart? Ours. Ours. He's wanting you to have a great not life. He wants you to stay connected to Him so He can lead you and guide you and help you navigate through this thing and have a life that you can be like the saints he talks about in the Old Testament, you know. When it was time for them to leave this planet, they were satisfied. They were content. They just laid back and thought about the wonderful life they had lived. (laughs) That's the way God wants it to be for us. We start looking towards the end of the Ten Commandments, the the second-ish half of them, and we find that these commandments have to deal with you and me because we're living here together on the planet, right? And it tells me that I should not steal Terry's nice pink Bible, even though it is a nice shade of pink. And she didn't happen to put um, pin marks on hers like I did on mine. And so if I look at Terry's nice little pink Bible, I think I believe that I'll just switch those because she hasn't marked hers up yet. (laughs) Then I'm going to have problems with Terry. (laughs) Terry's going to say that pink Bible was my pink. You found a uh, mark on her Bible. You would. Sons do that for you. They keep you humble all the time. They find marks on your Bible. So... I'm going to have a problem with Terry. We have, You know, there's this scripture, and I realized I was preparing last night, I was thinking about it, and we have three grandsons. One is still in the, in the stage where he can't talk. He's so sweet. <laughs> They're all sweet. <laughs> you know, you can't wait for your kids to talk, and then they start talking. It's like, oh! <laughs> oh, but we had one little grandson. There's this commandment that says, Thou shalt not covet... It says everything. Your neighbor's cow, his wife, his dishes, whatever. It's all this big long list of things. And then it just says, don't covet anything that's your neighbor's. Well, one of our, our grandsons had an <clears throat> issue with covetousness. And so um, anything that was in his brother's hands, he coveted. It didn't matter what it was. It could have been an empty tuna fish can. It didn't matter. If his brother had it in his hand, he felt very covetousness. And the covetousness led him to be um, violent and stealing. It just led to all, all, all sorts of other things. And so they had the joy of training him through that very long, long process of teaching him not to be covetous. Because what was covetousness doing to his relationship with his brother? Believe me, <laughs> it, was, it was trying his relationship with his brother. And so when we look in this book, there's all these things we call commands, we call God defines them as sins, but sins have consequences. Are our sins forgiven when we receive the Lord Jesus? They are. Thank God. They don't affect um, our eternal destiny 
we're still going to heaven. If I, if I mess up, I would never punch Tony in the face in my right mind. But perhaps I would get very furious and think about punching him, which would be really stupid. <laughs> but if I did, I hope he would forgive me. But I do know that for sure God would forgive me. Tony's looking at me like, I don't know. <laughs> maybe I would. Maybe I wouldn't. We're just going to settle it. I won't do it, and then we'll never know. But uh, God would forgive me. I mean, he's not going to say you're not coming to heaven, you you messed up. No, <clears throat> but I'm going to struggle with my relationship with Tony. <laughs> and I might be in the hospital <laughs> recovering from a, a stupid decision that I made. And so sins have consequences, and those consequences can make our life here on earth not what it should be. Our life here on earth is supposed to be filled with purpose, We're supposed to have meaningful relationships with other people. We're supposed to have the love of God in our hearts. We're supposed to have the joy of the Lord coming out of us. We're supposed to have the peace that passes understanding. We're supposed to be walking in all these things. But when we yield to sin and the consequences so often come with it, it alters that. And so, we're, I'm not, uh, everybody take a deep breath. It's like, <gasps> she's going to preach a bad sermon. No, I'm not. Because <laughs> my husband will listen to it, and I'll be in serious trouble if I do. So, um, this is what we want. I want to look at today, is that you are not a helpless pawn. You know, very often, there are some things we feel, we, we grow to feel that way. Maybe we've struggled. When I, when I was a little girl, I had a terrible, terrible temper terrible temper and uh, I beat up all my friends you know when I got mad I beat you up and I had challenges in my relationship with my friends because of it and this would be one of my nightly prayers Lord please when I wake up tomorrow let me not have a bad temper anymore but guess what happened when I woke up tomorrow yeah I still had the same challenge that that I went to bed with the night before because that's really not the way that God does it. Every once in a while, uh, people have testimonies like that. I'm not sure if you should even share them. (laughs) I woke up and I never wanted to ever, ever even lose my temper. It's like, great, rejoice in the Lord. Don't tell anyone else. Because most people don't have that experience. That's not the way that it happens most of the time. So I want us to, we are actually going to open our Bibles and read a scripture now. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to start out in verse 12. It says this. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. That's just kind of like, let's just start with this, thus saith the Lord. (laughs) Any of you who are looking around thinking, oh, I would never do anything like that. Oh, my goodness. How could Danielle and Nathan possibly have a child like that who would be covetousness? What is wrong with them in there? Let's read it again. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Because really, our perspective should be this. Anything that I've done right, anything that I've got right, any blessing that I'm walking in, anything that I've managed to get my little fingers around, it has been because of the grace of God. It's been because the relationships he brought me, the people who whispered in my ear saying, don't do that. It's like, Really? No. You know, the relationships he's brought, the wisdom he's given, his word that we've had access to look to, 
Never look around you trying to figure out what everyone's doing wrong. (laughs) Don't let yourself in that moment when you think, why are their kids acting that way? I used to say that before I had them. (laughs) And then after I had them, I said, Lord, give them grace. Lord, help them. <laughs> there was no more condemnation for me. Uh-uh, no, sir. Not once I I almost disrupted an entire flight with a, uh, that young red-headed man back there. So, you know, you have to have mercy. We don't need to be looking at anyone and saying, I would never do that. No. Take, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Now, let's get into the good stuff. No temptation has overtaken you. Remember those thoughts you had? I just couldn't help myself. No, no, no. Here's what it says. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So number one, uh, nothing unique has come to you. <laughs> no, it's not. It might be a slightly different package. It might look slightly different than what happened to your friend down the street. But there is nothing new. <laughs> the challenges that you have are not unique to you. Other people have experienced them. Other people have yielded to them. Other people have overcome them. They are not unique to you. So just take a deep breath. <gasps> You're not the one person on the face of the earth who has encountered this. It's common to man. But God is faithful. And he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Do you know that God does have a filter system? He is. He's he's got a filter system. And so this is what I always think of in that moment. was like... (gasps) I really want to get upset about something. I really want to worry about something. I want to... I need to realize in that moment that nothing is coming to me that I can't handle. It may feel like it's too big for me, it's too powerful for me, it's just too whatever for me. There is nothing that's going to come to me that me and God together, we can't handle and we get through. But with that temptation, there's two things in the package. Here comes a temptation. We're not going to preach on this today, but rest assured God does not tempt you. He is not that kind of a father. He doesn't come say, here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this to you. I'm going to see how you... No, that's not God. We're not going to talk about what it is, but just trust me, take a deep breath and be so happy that God's not that. But with the temptation that he comes that he is aware of, he's God and he knows when temptations and things come to you. Together with that temptation, he has a way of escape. It's always there. There's always a way of escape. You can never look and say, I just couldn't help it. I just, no. There is always a way of escape. And that's what we're going to be talking about today because it's so wonderful when you realize that you just got to look and listen. (laughs) When you feel like you're backed in a corner, like there is nothing. I'm just going to yell. I'm going to cave. I'm going to, no. You're going to stand is what you're going to do. And in that moment, in that place, we have the capacity to look. And to listen to the voice of the Lord 
and to find that way of escape where we're going to be able to sidestep this. The Bible says here that you may be able to bear it. Verse 14, we didn't touch on this earlier, but therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. We were addressing some issues of idolatry in the in the um, preceding scriptures. But what does the word flee mean? Yeah. It doesn't say saunter away, does it? Saunter away from idolatry. It says flee from idolatry. So we're just going to replace the word idolatry with the word sin. One of the greatest things that you can do is flee. <laughs> Don't try to see how tough you are, how big you are. I'm going to overcome this. I've had a long-standing problem with alcohol, but I'm going to go drinking with my buddies and see if I can drink a Diet Coke. <laughs> <laughs> flee <laughs> find you friends who love Diet Coke or Pepsi or, or something that is not going to present a challenge to you it is not being a chicken it's not being a wuss to flee he said to do it so we should do it because this is the Bible alright so we don't flirt with it we don't flirt with temptation uh, there's a lot of scriptures that we don't have time to get into to, to Today, but it says that we're actually very often drawn away by our own lusts. What does that mean? We just sit and toy with the idea. Well, I could, you know, what if I, what if I set my timer on my phone for 15 minutes? I'm sure I could drink Diet Coke for 15 minutes, and then I would leave. But you forgot to push start. <laughs> you know. Flee from it. Don't flirt with it. Don't mess with it. Flee from it. If you can get away from it, get away from it. That's the number one way to deal with, with um, temptation. But when we're looking at this thing of, of talking about this way of escape, I grew up hearing about this way of escape, but I was, had some misunderstandings about it. what it was. I just honestly thought that it was something that would overpower me. You know, like God would take away my free will for a moment and say, you're messing up. <laughs> Look, I'm just going to stop this whole free will idea for just, you know, 15 minutes. I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to get you out of here. I'm going to remove you from the situation. And then I'll give it back to you. doesn't work that way. <laughs> or I thought it might be like a giant trap door that all of a sudden it opened and you were removed from the situation. But the way of escape is, is not like that. I used to go walking um, early in the mornings. Hopefully one day I'll, again, go walking early in the mornings. But I used to like to go in the summer when it was just light enough where you were sure you wouldn't step on a snake. Because I'm not really afraid of snakes, but I don't want to step on one. That would ruin my day <laughs> right at the beginning. Uh, so um, as soon as I was sure it was light enough where I could see anything like that moving around, I would head out. And so I would get to this little place near my house real early in the morning, probably just a little bit after 5. I had a big rock before somebody stole it. Would y'all please not steal rocks from public places? Anyway, that was just a piece. I, just, I had this rock I would sit on. And I would just enjoy myself out there. And so one morning I'm sitting, I hear the birds chirping, so peaceful. There'd be a little lizard to go running. There'd be a little bunny bouncing around. It was so peaceful. And then because it overlooks Highway 50, everyone started going to work. 
and there were tractor trailers and motorcycles and 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 apparently people who ride motorcycles don't like quiet ones because they make them noisy on purpose I believe and cars and all sorts of things and I mean the traffic is just going down and I I just said to the Lord I said oh you know the birds stopped singing and all that stopped and now it's just the sound of all that traffic and the Lord whispered to me this to my heart. He said, listen deeper. Okay. So sure enough, if I really concentrated, the birds didn't go away. <laughs> they were still there. But I had to really focus to hear them. I had to really focus to hear a little lizard slithering around with all of the noise of this traffic with the morning rush hour going down Highway 50. And, you know, that's the way that it is with the Lord. And when, uh, when we're listening for this way of escape, we're in that moment. And we need to listen for the voice of the Lord. Because he's going to show us what's our way of escape. That's the whole point. <laughs> we're in here. It says together with the temptation, he's given us a way of escape. But we need to stop and listen to get direction from the Lord. And he's always talking. There's usually, you know, when we're needing a way of escape, it's usually a noisy situation. It's usually something that's yelling at us, do something, hurry up, you know. And you're feeling a lot of tension. And it's like, okay, i got to listen. I'm looking for this way of escape that the Lord has to me. It takes a little bit of focus on our part. But um, we, we need to just listen because it's often going to be something that's just like... Um, a thought or an idea that suddenly comes to you. It may sound ridiculous. It may sound definitely not spiritual sometimes because, you know, do you know that God already knows he's spiritual and he has nothing to prove? <laughs> he doesn't have to come to you with these super spiritual answers. He comes to us with really practical answers. <laughs> so years ago, like I said, I grew up in Africa. We didn't have TV. I had TV in 1972 when we were home in the States. I had TV in 1977 when we were home in the States. No TV growing up besides that. So when I came back to America, went to college and everything, I really liked TV. <laughs> and I moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and that's big Bible belt. And um, there were like four or five Christian TV stations, so there couldn't be any harm in that, right? So I was working a, a split shift. I worked, was working as a nurse as a split day and night shift. I was relief for both those. And so I was tired a lot. <laughs> and so the easiest thing in the world was for me to come home and just sit on that couch. And that was fine for a day. It was fine for a week. <laughs> After a few months of this, I started getting this thought, that I was created for things greater than going to work and coming home and sitting on the couch and watching TV. But I constantly had come home and I'd be so tired. What was the only thing I wanted to do? Sit down on the couch and watch the TV. Now, I wasn't actively saying, Lord, show me my way of escape. But I had this idea one day. I thought, you know, it was a great big TV because we didn't have flat screen TV. So it was, it was substantial. And I had a closet right on the other side of the room. And this idea thought to me that I probably wouldn't watch TV as much if I kept the TV in the closet. 
Now, some of you are like, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. I know, but it worked. <laughs> to this day, I don't have trouble with TV. <laughs> you know, there was a couple shows every week I really like to, really to watch, and so I'd love the TV out and go put it where it was, and I'd watch my show, and I might watch too many shows for that period of time while it was out. Then when I was done, I'd pick it up and I'd put it back in the closet. It really does a lot for resisting your temptation when you come home tired to just, it's like, oh no, I don't want to lug that thing out. You know, there's nothing spiritual about that, but it did help me bring that part of my life. Was watching Christian TV a sin? No. But I want to fulfill my destiny on this earth, and God wants me to fulfill it too. He wants what's best for me. I want that to happen in my life, and that was something that was a hindrance to me. And so God gave me a real practical way of escape to help bring that thing into order in my life. And so you're like, well, you know, I've had dumb ideas like that too. It's like, I know, you need to start listening to them because the Lord doesn't do trap doors. He doesn't... You know, do the, what was it, Star Trek thing where you just there and then they push something and then you're not there and all, never mind, I'm not into that sort of thing. So anyway, you, you've got it to deal with, but the Lord will help you deal with it. Now in Psalms um, 46.1, it says to us that God is a present help in time of trouble. You know, I've even had friends <clears throat> who sometimes have gotten into repeated trouble. And after a while, you might not want to be with them as much as you did before. <laughs> because you just kind of get tired after a while. It's like, oh, not again, you know. And, okay, we've been through this. Let's, let's work through this. Do you know that God's not like that? It doesn't really matter what you do. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you're dealing with. The Bible says that he is a present help in time of need. That means when you need him, he's right there with you. He's right there beside you. He's not waiting until you get your act together. He's not waiting until you improve. He's not disgusted with you. He is a present help in time of need. He's right there. He's right with you. And he's like, are we going to do this? Are we going to overcome this? Because I've got a way. Are you listening? And we've got to listen to the voice of the Lord. Now let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 2. Um, verses 17 and 18. It says, Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. You know, there are things sometimes that you and I go through, things that we encounter, that um, it is just so helpful to us. <laughs> If we have a friend who comes alongside us and says, Oh man, you know what? I went through that. The Lord helped me through, or this is what I did. And, you know, someone who knows what you're dealing with. You know, that doesn't mean that not that everyone can't minister to you. I mean, any believer should be able to minister to any person. But sometimes there's certain things, you know, it's kind of hard if you're having trouble with your kids for some single person to come up and say, You know, let me help you with this. <laughs> It's like, 
I need someone with kids. I need someone who's walked this out. I need someone who's been up late at night and you're supposed to still have patience in the wee hours of the morning. I need someone who's walked to where I've walked. (laughs) And what this scripture is telling us is that in our lives, Jesus is that person. He was tempted when he walked this earth just the way that you are. Was he all God? Yes, he was. Was he all man? Yes, he was. And so it's not like the temptations that Jesus endured that they somehow weren't real because he was God. They were very real. What he overcame for us, the way he stood without sinning for us, without sin, was as a man. It would have been cheating (laughs) if he would have done that as God. (laughs) He overcame those things as man. So he knows and he has experienced the same kind of temptations that you and I have experienced. But there's one difference. Is that he didn't bend, he didn't yield, he overcame every single time. And we should be thrilled about that because the fact that he overcame means that as he's that friend who's a present help in time of trouble, he's there with us and he can show us how to overcome just like he overcame. Now let's pop over to Hebrews chapter 4. It's just most of y'all is probably on the same set of pages. It says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, sometimes we have a tendency to want to run away from people who look to us like they've got it all together. (laughs) It's like, you know, (laughs) I want somebody who struggled like I struggle, you know. You look too perfect. I don't want to hear about all your solutions. I want to know that there's somebody who's really experienced fully the way I have. And uh, what the Lord is saying here is that one thing we do is we come to this throne when we come to throne, who's sitting on that throne? We don't do this physically, but we do it in our hearts. We come to the Lord. We come to the throne, and on that throne we find God. And who's there with him? The Lord Jesus, the one who overcame, the one who was able to conquer, the one who did not yield to sin. He is right there. And it says that we find two things there. One of them is mercy. And you know, there are a lot of times we find ourselves just that we need, we just need mercy. (laughs) You know, it feels good to us to just come to the Lord and say, Lord, I really, you know, I I blew it. (laughs) I blew it and I need mercy from you. And He's always got it. The Bible says there that He's always got mercy. And he's got grace to help us in our time of need. The Lord is never, ever, ever going to be condemning you. He's always happy when you get yourself up and, and you're trying to you know, restore 
that fellowship with him. He doesn't withdraw from us, but man, do we want to withdraw from him when we mess up sometimes. we got to continually resist that. <laughs> Because it's not what's best for us, for sure. We need to continually come before Him, get mercy. But there's also grace to help us in our time of need. So when we come to the Lord, we've got something that we're facing, some sort of a, <clears throat> some sort of a temptation, something. You know, something that I've been. Um, I don't know if y'all have been or have a tendency to be busy during this season of year, but especially a lot of women are. <laughs> You know, <clears throat> men are busy eating the things that we create and cook and stuff like that, but it's a different kind of busy. <laughs> we have the creation end of busy, the part that takes, you know, six hours to put together a meal that you're going to consume in 45 minutes. It's a different kind of busy. And so coming into the season this year, I've been really determined that I was not, that I was going to enjoy, you know, I should be able to enjoy Christmas, don't you think? Jesus came, he came as a baby. He came for the purpose of dying for my sins. Don't you think I should be able to enjoy the season? Y'all are just not quite as enthusiastic. I, I need a, a little more help here. Thank you. They all think I should be able to enjoy Christmas. And so, you know, the Lord wants us to enjoy it too, but sometimes we just let things that aren't important take priority um, over the things that really matter in our lives. And so I've just been talking about this, Lord. I was determined this this season that I was not going to get in that thing where I'm just, you know, spinning, spinning, spinning until after Christmas, and then you got to clean it all up, and then it's done, and you missed it. So the Lord just spoke to me a couple weeks ago as Pastor and I were teaching together. I was teaching. This idea came to me. It's been so helpful to me since. To just in the moment. You know, my life is made up of moments. <laughs> <laughs> and how I spend my moments is going to determine how my life was spent. Yeah. That's all. It's honestly what it boils down to. It's been so helpful for me. This thought just keeps coming to me. What should I do? Should I do this first? What is the best thing for me to do in this moment? Because my life is made up of these moments. So right now, what's the best thing I can choose for this moment right here, right now? It has been so helpful for me. <laughs> Y'all look at me like, I don't even know if that makes sense, Millie. Believe me, it makes sense to me. <laughs> and it has been a huge help for me in choosing uh, the path that leads to peace for me, the path that leads for me to stay in my joy, the path that leads for me to continue to walk in love with those who are around me. You know, sometimes we can spend this whole season, we're kind of crabby and irritable because of all the things we have to do, and we kind of we, we kind of miss our focus. And so the Lord helps us. And so when we come to Him with something as simple as that, Melody coming saying, Lord, I really want to enjoy this Christmas. I want to enjoy my family. I want to enjoy just the everything, and I don't want to get so caught in everything that I can't enjoy it. He's there. He gives us grace to help in our time of need. He's right there. There's nothing that you're going to come to the Lord with, and He's going to say, well, that's ridiculous. <laughs> i got to keep planets in motion. <laughs> I've got a whole universe to run. That is ridiculous. No, it doesn't matter what you bring to the Lord. It could, it could be just the goings of your day. How can I do my day to I get the most out of it? Uh, all the way to Lord, how do I how do I overcome this area that I keep yielding to that's causing me problems in? So there's always mercy for you, there's always grace for you, but there is always this way of escape. 
If you're in that moment and you're thinking, this is the exception. <laughs> there is no way of escape for me. I examined it. I looked at it. There's no way of escape here. I'm going to encourage you to listen deeper. Just take a minute and listen. There's going to be a thought that comes to you. There's going to be an idea to you that comes to you. There might be a word that comes to you like, flee! <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> and there are times that we, we I'll just share this. <clears throat> my daddy, my, I, his mother, my dad's a preacher, and his mother had a serious addiction to soap operas. <clears throat> it was honestly to the point where we would be gone for four years and not see her. <laughs> and the day we arrived, if her soap opera came on, she'd give us a hug and a, a kiss, and she'd click it on and... She could not miss her soap opera, so my dad was not thrilled with that. And so he raised us girls, you know, he said, I didn't know what a soap opera is, but he said, don't ever watch them. So I, I didn't know what one was. But anyway, I n went to nursing school, and um, <laughs> we, had, we had kind of a different situation. It was a hospital-based nursing school, and there was no food provided. There was a kitchen and so you could cook your own food. You could cook whatever you wanted. But around the noon hour, all the girls sat on the couch. And what did they watch? They watched their soap operas. <laughs> and so I, for a long time, I'd cook my food and I'd go sit in my room all by myself. I'd eat my food, but it's kind of lonely in there, you know. And so I thought, you know, I'm just going to go sit at the table. You know, I, I was raised in boarding school all my life, you know, because my folks were missionaries. I am not used to that kind of solitude. So I'd go and sit in the table where it wasn't very long before I'm the couch. And I'm like this. And then I started noticing something about myself. And that was that if I was working on the floor, um, I'd start watching my watch. And I was like, um, are we going to get lunch break soon? <laughs> and if we didn't get a lunch break when I could watch my soap opera, I'd get really testy. And I felt really <laughs> crabby and grumpy and slightly depressed. And so one day, you know, I'm still, it's still not sufficient motivation for me. I'm still going to, if you watch soap operas, you know, I'm not criticizing you. They're not the healthiest thing in the world, but they're not going <laughs> to kill you. <clears throat> okay. So one day, though, I'm sitting on this couch, and, uh, you know, this is a script that people have written up. It's not real, but you, I, I would have fought you. I saw it. I, I, saw, I flipped the channels the other day. Same woman, still on a soap <laughs> opera, almost 30 years later. She looks really good, too. <laughs> She's had lots of help. But anyway... Um, one day I'm watching my soap opera and this, there was this husband and wife and the wife had kind of been, you know, <clears throat> she just wasn't a very good wife. And so finally, you know, there's this seductress who's waiting with open arms for the husband who has this horrible wife and he finally yielded and went to her and on the inside of me, I thought, well, good. <laughs> and you know what? As I did that, I just realized, uh-oh. <laughs> My values are shifting here. <laughs> I actually don't believe in that. I actually don't think that's the right thing to do. But My values are shifting. And guess what came into my heart as my way of escape? 
I fled <laughs> back to my bedroom. <laughs> I had to go back to my bedroom because I couldn't. It wasn't something where I could say, okay, well, I'm just going to sit here. I won't listen, and I'm going to just detach myself. No, I just had to go back to my bedroom. That was the Lord's way of escape for me. And the story's still going on. I think they're just like two weeks into it, 30 years later. <laughs> it's a very long life. <laughs> anyway, in the most unusual ways and the things that you wouldn't even think of or anticipate, you're going to find just these little um, subtle ideas, thoughts, something that comes to you. Don't dismiss it and just say, well, that's just silly. Well, that's just ridiculous. Well, that's just me. <coughs> Listen to it. The Lord is giving you this way of escape. And why is he giving it to you? Because he's mad at you because of what you're doing? No. Because remember, he's that father who loves you. He's the creator who made you. He knows how your life will work best. And he wants what's good for you. And that's why he's helping you. He's helping you to sidestep these things. He's helping you get around these things. He's helping you conquer things so that you can have the life that you want. You know, I love all of my children. There's not any of them that I would say, okay, you know, if I have to pick two, (laughs) these are the two that I'd pick. And I'm really sorry that this one's making poor choices. No, I want them all. And God wants all of you. He wants all of you to have a good life, just like I want my children to have a good life. If I had one out of three that was having a rotten life, I would not be content. I wouldn't say, well, you know, two out of three is not bad. You know, some parents have four kids and it's two out of four. That's a way lower average than mine. No, I'm doing good. No, my heart would be distressed because I have a child who's not experiencing life as it should be experienced. And that is exactly the way that God is with you. You might be thinking, no, not me. Yes, you. You. (laughs) God doesn't have, you've heard this, he doesn't have children he feels differently about. He doesn't have um, some that are favorites. No, he loves every single one of you. Every single one of you, he wants you to have a life that is worth living. Where at the end of your days, you're going to crawl up on a bed or sit back or do something and say, oh, this has been an awesome life. I am so happy with the way that I've lived my life. God has been so good to me. That's what he wants for you.